So have you ever been betrayed? Someone you love, someone you cared about, they lied to you. Maybe it was your spouse who cheated on you. Maybe it was a business partner who deceived you. Maybe it was your child stealing money from you to buy drugs. If you've ever been betrayed, you know it is a terrible feeling. You know, someone you trust, it, it just makes you sick to your stomach, doesn't it? A harder question, I think, is have you ever betrayed someone? And right at this moment, as soon as I ask that question, some of you are fighting the temptation to hang your head because you have been the one who betrayed someone. You were the spouse that cheated. You were the one that lied. You were the one that deceived. And that still weighs heavy on your soul. You still carry that guilt, that shame. But something interesting to me is there are people who do betray other people and they're in denial about it. The mind is an amazing thing. We can, we can so twist up our own thinking, our own soul, that we believe that we're still innocent even when we know we're guilty. Uh, years ago, I was uh, talking to a couple and she had had an affair. That's why they had come to see me. And we were talking about it in my office and she actually turned to her husband and said, I just want you to know I would never cheat on you. And I wanted to say, I thought that's why we're here, because you did. And so we have to actually do some soul examination, some soul work to find out not only have we been betrayed, but are we the betrayer? Well, we're in this series called Final Hours. It's about the last 24 hours of Jesus's life. And we're trying to find out what we can learn. And tonight or today, we're going to, it just feels like night, doesn't it? when you lose an hour. <laughs> so today we're gonna to find out about two people who betrayed Jesus, Judas and Peter. So let's start with Judas. Uh, earlier in chapter 26, in part of the chapter we did not read, there's this amazing tender moment where a woman in Bethany takes this expensive bottle of perfume, breaks it, anoints Jesus. You remember this story? And do you remember that the disciples were indignant why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? And we're told right after that, Judas goes to the chief priests and the elders of the people, and he says, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus into your hands? And so whatever Judas's motives are, at least part of it is greed. And you want to ask, how can Judas do this? How does someone do life with Jesus for three years and then be greedy enough to betray Jesus, because after all, Judas had had a front row seat. He had listened to all of Jesus' teaching. He'd seen every one of the miracles. He had even been one of those sent out, and he had cast demons out in Jesus' name. How can somebody like that betray Jesus? Something happened in that last week of Jesus' life, I think, where Judas realized Jesus was not going to be the kind of savior, the kind of king he wanted him to be. I, I think Judas was like a lot of people that wanted Jesus to be a political savior, someone who delivered them from Rome. And when he realized that Jesus is not gonna do that, something snapped in Judas and he betrays Jesus. So what do you do when Jesus is not the savior that you want? 
and I think we all struggle with this. You know, we pray a prayer, and our prayer is not answered, and we go, hey, God, why didn't you answer that prayer? We, we want to follow Jesus until we get uncomfortable, but when Jesus starts asking us to stop sinning, when Jesus asks us to serve him or to give to his kingdom's work, and we go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that starts to get uncomfortable. I don't like that. So what do you do when Jesus isn't the Savior you want? Well, the truth is most of us betray him. We try to put onto Jesus what we want him to be instead of accepting him for who he is. So now it's time for the Passover meal. We talked about this last week, how they're all gathered around. And some, at some point in that meal, Jesus looks around at this group of his closest friends, the 12 that he has poured his life into, and he says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all had the same response. They all said, is it me? I want you to notice what they did not do. What they did not do is all of them turn and look at Judas and say, well, it's going to be Judas. I know it is. They didn't do that. They all said, is it me, Lord? And then there's this real interesting thing that happens in verse 25. Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you have said so. Now, here's something real interesting, and I wouldn't have known this unless, except I read it in a book. So, in the Gospel of Matthew, the disciples always call Jesus Lord. Only non-disciples call Jesus rabbi. What does Judas call Jesus? Rabbi. You say, why is that such a big deal? Because <laughs> a rabbi is a teacher. Have you ever ignored a teacher? Oh, yes, you have. I see you going to sleep while I'm preaching sometimes. I know you can ignore a teacher. But a Lord is someone with authority. What Judas is saying, maybe even unconsciously, is, hey, Jesus may be my teacher, but I'm not going to let him be my authority. According to the polls, most Americans actually admire Jesus, even people who do not believe he is Lord and Savior. They admire his teaching. But you know what? Just admiring Jesus' teaching is not enough. Is Jesus Lord or teacher for you? You see, if he's just a teacher, then you can cherry pick and you say, well, I'll take this, but I won't take that. But if he is really Lord, if he's really the leader, then you submit to him and you do what he says for you to do. And you have to take seriously his claims that he was not just a teacher, that he was the son of God, that that he was the Messiah come to save the world. And I want you to remember, the first believers did not follow Jesus because he was a teacher. They followed Jesus because they believed he had conquered death. And because he had conquered death, he was the king of kings and lord of lords. That's why they followed Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may admire Jesus. Maybe while you're watching, maybe while you're listening in, 
But there comes a moment when you have to ask yourself, intellectual honesty demands it, what do I do with these claims that, of Jesus, even as he taught that he wasn't just a teacher, he was a savior? Now, something else is happening here. Jesus actually warns Judas. In the last part of verse 24, Jesus says, woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. <coughs> it would be better for him if he had not been born. Jesus is saying, Judas, take this seriously. The, the path you're on is not going to get you where you really want to go. Don't do it. Does Judas listen to Jesus? No. At some point, Judas slips out of the supper and he goes and starts to carry out his plan of betrayal. But it means you and I have to ask each other, is Jesus warning you about something? Is Jesus warning you about a sin that is about to destroy your life? Is Jesus warning you about a habit that's about to become an addiction and take control of your life? Is Jesus warning you about a relationship that you kind of have an uncomfortable feeling about, but you say, but this part is really good. Is Jesus warning you about that relationship and saying that's not something you should be involved with? Is Jesus warning you that you're hardening your heart to the point where pretty soon you won't recognize his voice? Are you listening? Or are you gonna be like Judas? And just go ahead with your own plans. Jesus, after the supper, you know this, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes to pray. We're gonna talk about that next week. But when he finishes, Judas comes up with a crowd from the chief priests and the elders and the crowd has clubs and swords and Judas has told them, the one I kiss is the man you want. And so we're told in verse 49, going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. I want you to notice again, what does Judas call Jesus? Rabbi. And the kiss. In Greek, there are two different words for kissing. One is a kiss of friendship, and you may have actually seen this in the Middle East. It's still the custom how men will kiss each other on the cheek, right? And if you're an American, that's kind of like, ooh, why do they do that? But that's, that's what men do in the Middle East. There's another Greek word for kiss, which means to kiss with devotion and love. Matthew, remember, is an eyewitness to this. He is there with now the, the 11 disciples. And when Matthew writes down what he remembered of that night, he uses not the comrade kiss word, but he uses the kiss with love and devotion word. Which means you can pretend to be devoted and you can pretend to love Jesus and still portray him. And what is amazing to me is Jesus' response. Do what you came for, friend. If I had been Jesus, I would not have been calling Judas my friend at this point. Right? So, so why does Jesus call Judas friend? Is he just being nice? I don't think so. Even at this point, Jesus 
still wants the best for Judas. Even though Judas has betrayed him, Jesus still wants good for Judas. Which is a reminder to us that even when you betray Jesus, he still wants the best for you. Even when you let him down, even when you have failed him, even when you sin, Jesus still wants the best for you. Don't let shame keep you from Jesus. Don't let your past, your failures keep you from Jesus. He loves you. He still wants the best for you, even if you've let him down, even if you've come to betray him. Now, Jesus will go and stand trial with the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court. And the trial is based upon lies and half-truths and distortions. And as morning light breaks, Judas is overcome with remorse. Why? I mean, he's got his 30 pieces of silver. It really shouldn't surprise us. I mean, how many times have you known the right thing to do, done the wrong thing, and then realize the wrong thing is not taking you where you want to go and you're filled with remorse. It's like, boy, I know this relationship isn't really right, but it feels so good and, and we have such a good time together. And yeah, we're crossing boundaries, but everybody's doing it. So man, I'm just going to dive in whole hog and you dive in whole hog. And after about two or three years, you're going, what have I done? What have I done with my life? Or, or maybe it's like, you know, this is just a small thing and God surely understands and it's not a big deal. And so I'm just going to let this be over here and my God relationship over here. And then, and then after two or three years, you're going, oh my gosh, how could I have screwed up my life so badly? And for Judas, it doesn't even take him two or three years. It's ours. And so he goes and he tries to give the money back. And we're told in chapter 27, verse 4, Judas actually confesses his sin. He says, I have sinned. That's a confession. For I have betrayed innocent blood. And they, the chief priests, the elders, they say, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. Judas knows that he's done wrong, but he's confessing to the wrong people. They don't care about him. Hey, that's up to you. That's on you, buddy. You made a deal, we made a deal, deal with it. And the rest of the story is so tragic. In verse five, we're told, Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. Judas trusted the wrong people. He went down the wrong path. It led him to a place of despair. But even in his death, Judas has something very important to teach us. Regret is not the same as repentance. What do I mean by that? Regret is a feeling. Do you remember when you were a child and colored on the walls with a crayon? And your mom came in and caught you? Now, my mom spanked us. Maybe your mom put you in time out. But I tell you, I regretted it. Did I regret what I did? No. What did I regret? Getting caught, right? Regret is when you experience the consequence of your sin and you go, oh, if I'd only know. Regret is getting caught. What is repentance? Repentance is not a feeling. Repentance is an action. It means I was going this direction. Now I'm going this direction. I am willing to change the direction of my life. Is your repentance real or is it just regret? 
Do you really want to change the direction, the values, what you consider is important in your life? And that's the end of Judas' story. He hangs himself. Now let's look at Peter's story. Remember, Peter is the bold one, the confident one. He is the one who asked Jesus, can I walk on water with you? He is the one who, when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? Says, he says, well, you, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church. In fact, Peter is so confident that when Jesus follows that with, and by the way, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, die and be buried, and then I'll rise again on the third day, Peter is bold and confident enough to pull Jesus aside and start correcting his theology. So after Judas Judas leaves the supper, Jesus again foretells the future. In verse 31, Jesus told them this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he telling them all this? <coughs> I, I think God sometimes, not always, but sometimes God lets us know what's going to happen. Not so we can be prepared, but so after everything occurs, we can understand. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. They cannot yet conceive or understand of everything that's going to happen. And so Jesus tells them so that when later on they're trying to put all the pieces together, they've got something to hang their thoughts, their beliefs, their feelings, their reality on. But Jesus is also explaining grace and hope. He says, look, you're all gonna scatter away, but I will rise again. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? There is grace for you even when you scatter. There is grace for you even when you fail. There is grace from you even when you get way off track. There is grace for you. And there's hope. Because Jesus says, after I rise, I want to meet you in Galilee. I still have a plan for your life. I still have a purpose for you. You're not done. Your failure does not negate my forgiveness. And Peter's response is so Peter. (laughs) Look at what he says. Verse 33, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, don't you know that's the way he said it? Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Because man, if Peter's gonna be in, we're all in. We're with you, Jesus, even if we have to die. Now we know how this story ends and we're all going, oh, please. Are you ever overconfident in your loyalty to Jesus? You know, the people who who make me nervous are the people who say, I will never. You know, when, when the guy says to me, I'll never cheat on my wife, a little alarm bell goes off in my head. 
Because it's like you don't know that you can be vulnerable to temptation. Now, I believe the guys who say, I will never cheat on my wife because she'll kill me. She's a good shot. Them I believe. But I think an addict really gets this because they have said to themselves a thousand times, I'll never drink again. I'll never use again. I'll never go to that website again. I'll never eat that much again. But an addict really knows recovery doesn't happen until you admit I am powerless over my addiction. I can't stop it, but God can, and I'm gonna let him. Now, you may not be an addict, but you are a sinner, right? That means every one of us, we failed. Every one of us, we have fallen short of what God wants for us. Which means all of us need to master this prayer. God, I will never defeat sin on my own. I can't, you can, I think I'll let you. I'm gonna let you, God. You need to work in me so that the sin can be defeated. Okay, so then they go to the garden. You know, Peter can't stay awake. Like some of you this morning, you're still missing that hour of sleep. And then Judas shows up with a mob. And, and we're told that as the whole kiss exchange happens, Peter, and we'll know this is Peter from the Gospel of John, draws his sword, cuts off the ear of a servant of the high priest, a guy named Malchus, and Jesus says, put your sword away, reaches down, picks up the ear, and puts it back onto Malchus's head. It's the last miracle Jesus will do. And then Jesus' words come true in verse 56, the last part. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus knew their hearts better than they did. Now, Jesus is led away to the high priest's house. And we're told that Peter follows at a distance. It means he's not quite in, he's not quite out. And pay attention to that. Matthew's gonna kind of give us some clues. And now we're told Peter is sitting out in the courtyard. The trial's going on in the house. He's out in the courtyard. Pay attention, the courtyard. And a servant girl, probably about 10 years old, came to him, you also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway. Pause, do you see what Matthew's painting for us? Peter starts in the courtyard. Now he has moved farther away from Jesus to the gateway. Where another servant girl, about 10 years old, saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Galileans had spoke with this very distinctive accent. And he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Do you see the progression? Courtyard, gateway, outside. What's Matthew trying to show us? I, th- I think Peter's conflicted. I mean, he loves Jesus. He's at least there. 
but he's not all the way there. He's also scared. He doesn't feel safe. He's worried about his survival. It's the ultimate test, loyalty or safety. So what's your choice? Because you're going to face this. I face it. I've been in groups of people where all of a sudden the conversation really becomes not healthy. It's destructive. It's gossip. But I know if I get up and I leave, they're going to talk about me. So what do I do? I stay and I kind of do this fake smile of... Maybe, maybe, maybe you're out with a group of friends and they say, hey, let's go here. You know, that's not a place you need to go. But you don't want to make a big deal out of it. You don't want to think you're some stick in the mud or some, you know, uptight Christian. So you say, okay, no, I'm not going to do that. And say, Jesus, can we go along? You go along. And over and over, we continue to face this choice. Are we loyal to our Savior or are we committed to our safety, to being included to not feeling a pain. See, a lot of us will follow Jesus right up to the line of discomfort. And then we won't go any further. Peter the bold becomes Peter the denier. And the first denial is simple. I don't know the man. The second denial is accompanied by an oath. I swear I don't know him. But the third denial is accompanied by a curse. Now, a curse is not like bad words. A curse in biblical times is when you say something like, may lightning strike me dead if I'm lying in the middle of a thunderstorm. That's what Peter's doing. And now we find out he's not just a denier, he's a liar. How do we know all this detail? How do we know this story? You see, if I were Peter, I wouldn't want anyone to know what I said or did that night. If I had told it to my fellow disciples, I would have gone, yeah, I was there, it was bad, and then I remembered I needed some things from Walmart, and they were still open, so I went, and I got those things, and by the time I came back, I couldn't find Jesus. That's the way I would have told the story. The only way they know this detail is Peter told him. Peter told him. And why did Peter do that? I think he wanted to remind his fellow disciples and the early followers of Jesus an amazing truth. It's not our commitment to Jesus that carries the day. It's Jesus' commitment to us. Peter's saying, look, I don't deserve grace, but grace came anyway. This story is one of the reasons I trust the Bible. It's really interesting. You read the book of the Quran, the Quran, the sacred scripture of Islam. Muhammad is always the hero of the story. Always. You read the book of Mormon and the different Mormon uh, other sacred writings, and you'll find out that Joseph Smith is always the hero. Always. And yet here is our first leader of the church, Peter. And his story really is, he's a failure. 
And this is one of the reasons I trust the Bible because it's so brutally honest. Peter is not the hero, Jesus is. It's all about Jesus, not about the early followers of Jesus. Well, after the rooster crows, it all comes back to Peter, how Jesus had said, when the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. And now Peter has to face reality. He has to face the reality that he is a denier, he is a liar, he has failed Jesus, he is not the brave, I'll die with you kind of guy that he thought and said he was. And it's a reminder. You're not gonna have a real relationship with Jesus until you bring your real self to Jesus. See, as long as you're pretending that you've got everything together, As long as you're pretending that, hey, I'm going to die with Jesus, I'm loyal, I'm there, you're not going to have a real relationship with Jesus until you can be real with Jesus. Which means you need to make this part of your prayer life. You come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I screwed up today. Oh boy, did I screw up today. Hey, and Jesus, show me the other places I screwed up that I don't even know about. And this is why you need to actually bring your problems to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm in a mess, and I I may have made the mess, but I don't know what to do. One of my favorite old songs is, now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. And it it means you can even come to Jesus with your doubts and say, Jesus, I'm just not sure. I mean, I believe some of this, it comes easy, but some of this, I don't know, I don't know. The first thing you ought to do when you doubt is pray. And if you are real with Jesus, be open to Jesus being real with you, which means Jesus may come back and say, yes, you have sinned, I forgive you, but let's go back and figure out why you sinned. (laughs) You see, you're sinning because you're looking for something that only I can provide in something or someone else. Jesus might say to you, look, it's okay to doubt, but let's thoroughly investigate your doubts. Just because a college professor said it on the History Channel doesn't mean it's true. Jesus might be real back with you and say, look, I'm trying to warn you. The path you're on, no good, gonna wind you up in a bad place. Jesus might come to you and say, hey, you just need to rest. Jesus might come to you and say, hey, I wanna be real with you. I love you even though you've screwed up. You gotta be real with Jesus to have a real relationship with him. So, what are we supposed to learn from all of this? I I wonder if Jesus was more hurt by Judas or by Peter's betrayal. I don't know. Uh, What we do know is of the 12 men that Jesus invested the most in, all of them let him down, but two particularly. But they have very different outcomes. You see, Judas commits suicide, but the next time we see Peter, he's back with the disciples, back with the now 11. If I had been Peter, I think it would have been so tempting just to go hole up somewhere and say, oh my gosh, I'm just going to run away. I'm not ever going to go back to my hometown. I just, I want to just go and bury myself where nobody knows who I am. But Peter has the courage to go back to the 10 disciples. Now he's number 11 and say, guys, boy, 
I really screwed it up. And they were probably going, we did too. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Jesus is dead. Now it's Sunday morning. What happens? This is why church has to be a place of grace. Church has to be a place of grace so that we can all come here, hopefully every Sunday, or you can tune in every Sunday, and you can actually say, hey, we are the fellowship of the screwed up people, and we all need grace. And I'm just going to be real blunt. If you are one of those people, and you've got it all put together, and you know all the answers, you're probably not going to be comfortable here. Because we all know we've messed up. And we all need Jesus. And we all need grace. And that means, by the way, that as a church that is a place of grace, we welcome the broken people. We welcome the broken people. Life's too short to go around trying to pretend like you've got it all together. Because I don't know anybody that has it all together. But Peter went back. He got to be there Sunday morning when Mary rushes in and says, the tomb's empty. They've taken the Lord. I don't know where he is. He made the run with John to the empty tomb. And John runs in first. And, and then Peter, he, he, he just barges in. And he sees everything. And he goes, what does this mean? What is it? There's a grave cloth there. But his body is missing. What does this mean? What does this mean? And he goes back to the other disciples, and they're trying to figure it out. And sometime in the afternoon, we don't know when, sometime in the afternoon, Luke tells us that Jesus appeared to Peter alone. That's real important. Jesus always appears to a group of disciples except one time. He appeared once to Peter. Peter by himself. Now, how do we know that detail? Luke must have asked Peter. Peter told him. And don't you know that Luke, being the very careful author that he is, said, and what did Jesus say? And Peter said it was too holy. It was too sacred. I, I can't even begin to explain it. But John will go on and tell us that there's another encounter. And Jesus tells Peter to feed my lambs and feed my sheep and feed my sheep. And Peter, I still have a plan for you. And Peter, you're forgiven. You're now living in the hope of the resurrection. You are still my child. And so here's the bottom line for today. If you don't get anything else I say, I want you to get this. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? A remorse that ruins versus a repentance that restores. Judas was filled with remorse. It ruined his life. Peter repented. It restored his relationship. So how about you? You have to do some deep spiritual work. You have to ask yourself, am I the kind of person that just really regrets my sin? Or am I the person who's actually repenting of my sin? Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you need to pray the prayer that, that starts a relationship with Jesus, which says, I'm going to be real with you, Jesus. I've screwed up my life. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. I want to follow you. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I want my life to go your direction. That's repentance. That's the action. If you've never done that today, I really want to encourage you to do it. 
And maybe, maybe today, you're like me and you're a Christian and you've followed Jesus for a long time, but there are so many times you've failed him. I just want you to remember. I just want you to remember that Jesus will love you past your failures, past your sins, past your denials, past your betrayal, all the way back to his arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and for his amazing love. And we have to admit, we've all some way let Jesus down. And we pray forgiveness, but we also pray, God, you'd show us how to repent. And I want to pray for the people in this room, people watching online who've never accepted Jesus, that today they'd take that next step toward him. Accept him as Savior and Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' powerful name.